Chapter One of Happy Homes and the Hearts That Make Them by Samuel Smiles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Greenman. Chapter One The Art of Living, or Making the Most of Life. Every one is the son of his own work. Cervantes. The art of living deserves a place among the fine arts like literature it may be ranked with the humanities it is the art of turning the means of living to the best account of making the best of everything it is the art of extracting from life its highest enjoyment and through it of reaching its highest results to live happily the exercise of no small degree of art is required like poetry and painting the art of living comes chiefly by nature but all can cultivate and develop it it can be fostered by parents and teachers and perfected by self-culture without intelligence it cannot exist happiness is not like a large and beautiful gem so uncommon and rare that all search for it is vain all efforts to obtain it hopeless but it consists of a series of smaller and commoner gems grouped and set together forming a pleasing and graceful whole happiness consists in the enjoyment of little pleasures scattered along the common path of life which in the eager search for some great and exciting joy we are apt to overlook it finds delight in the performance of common duties faithfully and honorably fulfilled the art of living is abundantly exemplified in actual life take two men of equal means one of whom knows the art of living and the other not the one has the seeing eye and the intelligent mind nature is ever new to him and full of beauty he can live in the present rehearse the past or anticipate the glory of the future with him life has a deep meaning and requires the performance of duties which are satisfactory to his conscience and are therefore pleasurable he improves himself acts upon his age helps to elevate the depressed classes and is active in every good work his hand is never tired his mind is never weary he goes through life joyfully helping others to its enjoyment intelligence ever expanding gives him every day fresh insight into men and things he lays down his life full of honor and blessing and his greatest monument is the good deeds he has done and the beneficent example he has set before his fellow-creatures the other has comparatively little pleasure in life he has scarcely reached manhood ere he has exhausted his enjoyments money has done everything that it could for him yet he feels life to be vacant and cheerless travelling does him no good because for him history has no meaning he is only alive to the impositions of innkeepers and couriers and the disagreeableness of travelling for days amidst great mountains among peasants and sheep cramped up in a carriage picture galleries he feels to be a bore and he looks into them because other people do when he grows old and has run the round of fashionable dissipations and there is nothing left which he can relish life becomes a masquerade in which he recognizes only knaves hypocrites and flatterers though he does not enjoy life yet he is terrified to leave it then the curtain falls with all his wealth life has been to him a failure for he has not known the art of living without which life cannot be enjoyed it is not wealth that gives the true zest to life but reflection appreciation taste culture above all the seeing eye and the feeling heart are indispensable with these the humblest lot may be made blessed labor and toil 
may be associated with the highest thoughts and the purest tastes the lot of labor may thus become elevated and ennobled montaigne observes that all moral philosophy is as applicable to a vulgar and private life as to the most splendid every man carries the entire form of the human condition within him even in material comfort good taste is the real economist as well as an enhancer of joy scarcely have you passed the doorstep of your friend's house when you can detect whether taste presides within it or not there is an air of neatness order arrangement grace and refinement that gives a thrill of pleasure though you cannot define it or explain how it is there is a flower in the window or a picture against the wall that marks the home of taste a bird sings at the window-sill books lie about and the furniture though common is tidy suitable and it may be even elegant the art of living extends to all the economies of the household it selects wholesome food and serves it with taste there is no profusion the fare may be very humble but it has a savor about it everything is so clean and neat the water so sparkles in the glass that you do not desire richer viands or a more exciting beverage look into another house and you will see profusion enough without either taste or order the expenditure is larger and yet you do not feel at home there the atmosphere seems to be full of discomfort books hats shawls and stockings in course of repair are strewed about two or three chairs are loaded with goods the rooms are in confusion no matter how much money is spent it does not mend matters taste is wanting for the manager of the household has not yet learned the art of living you see the same contrast in cottage life the lot of poverty is sweetened by taste it selects the healthiest most open neighborhood where the air is pure and the streets are clean you see at a glance by the sanded doorstep and the window-panes without a speck perhaps blooming roses or geraniums shining through them that the tenant within however poor knows the art of making the best of his lot how different from the foul cottage dwellings you see elsewhere with the dirty children playing in the gutters the slattern-like women lounging by the doorstep and the air of sullen poverty that seems to pervade the place and yet the weekly income in the former home may be no greater perhaps even less than in the other how is it that of two men working in the same field or in the same shop one is merry as a lark always cheerful well clad and as clean as his work will allow him to be comes out on sunday mornings in his best suit to go to church with his family is never without a penny in his purse and has something besides in the savings bank is a reader of books and a subscriber to a newspaper besides taking in some literary journal for family reading while the other man with equal or even superior weekly wages comes to work in the mornings sour and sad is always full of grumbling is badly clad and badly shod is never seen out of his house on sundays till about midday when he appears in his shirt-sleeves his face unwashed his hair unkempt his eyes bleared and bloodshot his children left to run about the gutters with no one apparently to care for them is always at his last coin except on saturday night and then he has a long score of borrowings to repay belongs to no club has nothing saved but lives literally from hand to mouth reads none thinks none but only toils eats drinks and sleeps why is it that there is so remarkable a difference between these two men simply for this reason that the one has the intelligence and the art to extract joy and happiness from life to be happy himself and to make those about him happy whereas the other has not cultivated his intelligence 
and knows nothing whatever of the art of either making himself or his family happy with the one life is a scene of loving helping and sympathizing of carefulness forethought and calculation of reflection action and duty with the other it is only a rough scramble for meat and drink duty is not thought of reflection is banished prudent forethought is never for a moment entertained but look to the result the former is respected by his fellow workmen and beloved by his family he is an example of well-being and well-doing to all who are within reach of his influence whereas the other is as unreflective and miserable as nature will allow him to be he is shunned by good men his family are afraid at the sound of his footsteps his wife perhaps trembling at his approach he dies without having any regrets behind him except it may be on the part of his family who are left to be maintained by the charity of the public or by the pittance doled out by friends and relatives for these reasons it is worth every man's while to study the important art of living happily even the poorest man may by this means extract an increased amount of joy and blessing from life the world need not be a vale of tears unless we ourselves will it to be so we have the command to a great extent over our own lot at all events our mind is our own possession we can cherish happy thoughts there we can regulate and control our tempers and dispositions to a considerable extent we can educate ourselves and bring out the better part of our nature which in most men is allowed to sleep a deep sleep we can read good books cherish pure thoughts and lead lives of peace temperance and virtue so as to secure the respect of good men and transmit the blessing of a faithful example to our successors the art of living is best exhibited in the home the first condition of a happy home where good influences prevail over bad ones is comfort where there are carking cares carelessness untidiness slovenliness and dirt there can be little comfort either for man or woman the husband who has been working all day expects to have something as a compensation for his toil the least that his wife can do for him is to make his house snug clean and tidy against his homecoming at eve that is the truest economy the best housekeeping the worthiest domestic management which makes the home so pleasant and agreeable that a man feels when approaching it that he is about to enter a sanctuary and that when there there is no alehouse attraction that can draw him away from it we are not satisfied merely with a home it must be comfortable the most wretched indeed are those who have no homes the homeless but not less wretched are those whose homes are without comfort those of whom charles lamb once said the homes of the very poor are no homes it is comfort then that is the soul of the home its essential principle its vital element comfort does not merely mean warmth good furniture good eating and drinking it means something higher than this it means cleanliness pure air order frugality in a word house thrift and domestic government comfort is the soil in which the human being grows not only physically but morally comfort lies indeed at the root of many virtues wealth is not necessary for comfort luxury requires wealth but not comfort a poor man's home moderately supplied with the necessaries of life presided over by a cleanly frugal housewife may contain all the elements of comfortable living want of comfort is for the most part caused not so much by the absence of sufficient means 
as by the absence of the requisite knowledge of domestic management comfort it must be admitted is in a great measure relative what is comfort to one man would be misery to another even the commonest mechanic of this day would consider it miserable to live after the style of the nobles a few centuries ago to sleep on straw beds and live in rooms littered with rushes william the conqueror had neither a shirt to his back nor a pane of glass to his windows queen elizabeth was one of the first to wear stockings all the queens before her were stockingless comfort depends as much on persons as on things it is out of the character and temper of those who govern homes that the feeling of comfort arises much more than out of handsome furniture heated rooms or household luxuries and conveniences comfortable people are kindly tempered good temper may be set down as an invariable condition of comfort there must be peace mutual forbearance mutual help and disposition to make the best of everything better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith comfortable people are persons of common sense discretion prudence and economy they have a natural affinity for honesty and justice goodness and truth they do not run into debt for that is a species of dishonesty they live within their means and lay by something for a rainy day they provide for the things of their own household yet they are not wanting in hospitality and benevolence on fitting occasions and what they do is done without ostentation comfortable people do everything in order they are systematic steady sober industrious they dress comfortably they adapt themselves to the season neither shivering in winter nor perspiring in summer they do not toil after a fashionable appearance they spend more on warm stockings than on gold rings and prefer healthy good bedding to gaudy window curtains the organization of the home depends for the most part upon woman she is necessarily the manager of every family and household how much therefore must depend upon her intelligent cooperation man's life revolves round woman she is the sun of his social system she is the queen of domestic life the comfort of every home mainly depends upon her upon her character her temper her power of organization and her business management a man may be economical but unless there be economy at home his frugality will be comparatively useless a man cannot thrive the proverb says unless his wife let him house thrift is homely but beneficent though unseen of the world it makes many people happy it works upon individuals and by elevating them it elevates society itself it is in fact a recipe of infallible efficacy for conferring the greatest possible happiness upon the greatest possible number without it legislation benevolence and philanthropy are mere palliatives sometimes worse than useless because they hold out hopes which are for the most part disappointed how happy does a man go forth to his labor or his business and how doubly happy does he return from it when he knows that his means are carefully husbanded and wisely applied by a judicious and well-managing wife such a woman is not only a power in her own house but her example goes forth among her neighbors and she stands before them as a model and a pattern the habits of her children are formed after her habits her actual life becomes the model after which they unconsciously mold themselves for example always speaks more eloquently than words it is instruction in action wisdom at work first among woman's qualities is the intelligent use of her hands and fingers 
every one knows how useful how indispensable to the comfort of a household is the tidy managing handy woman pestalozzi with his usual sagacity has observed that half the education of a woman comes through her fingers there are wisdom and virtue at her finger ends but intellect must also accompany thrift they must go hand in hand a woman must not only be clever with her fingers but possessed of the power of organizing household work accordingly to manage a household efficiently there must be method without this work cannot be got through satisfactorily either in offices workshops or households by arranging work properly by doing everything at the right time with a view to the economy of labor a large amount of business can be accomplished muddle flies before method and confusion disappears there is also a method in spending in laying out money which is as valuable to the housewife as method is in accomplishing her work money slips through the fingers of some people like quicksilver we have already seen that many men are spendthrifts but many women are the same at least they do not know how to expend their husband's earnings to the best advantage you observe things very much out of place frills and ruffles and ill-darned stockings fine bonnets and clouted shoes silk gowns and dirty petticoats while the husband goes about ragged and torn with scarcely a clean thing about him industry is of course essential this is the soul of business but without method industry will be less productive industry may sometimes look like confusion but the methodical and industrious woman gets through her work in a quiet steady style without fuss or noise or dust clouds prudence is another important household qualification prudence comes from cultivated judgment it means practical wisdom it has reference to fitness to propriety it judges of the right thing to be done and of the right way of doing it it calculates the means order time and method of doing prudence learns much from experience quickened by knowledge punctuality is another eminently household qualification how many grumblings would be avoided in domestic life by a little more attention being paid to this virtue late breakfasts and late dinners too late for church and market cleanings out of time and washings protracted till midnight bills put off with a call again to-morrow engagements and promises unfulfilled what a host of little nuisances spring to mind at thought of the unpunctual housewife the unpunctual woman like the unpunctual man becomes disliked because she consumes our time interferes with our plans causes uneasy feelings and virtually tells us that we are not of sufficient importance to cause her to be more punctual to the business man time is money and to the business woman it is more it is peace comfort and domestic prosperity perseverance is another good household habit lay down a good plan and adhere to it do not be turned from it without a sufficient reason follow it diligently and faithfully and it will yield fruits in good season if the plan be a prudent one based on practical wisdom all things will gravitate toward it and a mutual dependence will gradually be established among all the parts of the domestic system we might furnish numerous practical illustrations of the truth of these remarks but our space will not permit and we must leave the reader to supply them from his or her own experience there are many other illustrations which might be adduced of the art of making life happy the management of the temper is an art full of beneficent results by kindness cheerfulness and forbearance we can be happy almost at will 
and at the same time spread happiness about us on every side we can encourage happy thoughts in ourselves and others we can be sober in habit what can a wife and her children think of an intemperate husband and father we can be sober in language and shun cursing and swearing the most useless unmeaning and brutal of vulgarities nothing can be so silly and unmeaning not to say shocking repulsive and sinful as the oaths so common in the mouths of vulgar swearers they are profanations without purpose impiety without provocation blasphemy without excuse this leads us to remark in passing that in this country we are not sufficiently instructed in the art of good manners we are rather gruff and sometimes unapproachable manners do not make the man as the proverb alleges but manners make the man much more agreeable a man may be noble in his heart true in his dealings virtuous in his conduct and yet unmannerly suavity of disposition and gentleness of manners give the finish to the true gentleman by good manners we do not mean etiquette this is only a conventional set of rules adopted by what is called good society and many of the rules of etiquette are of the essence of rudeness etiquette does not permit genteel people to recognize in the streets a man with a shabby coat though he be their brother etiquette is a liar in its not at home ordered to be told by servants to callers at inconvenient seasons good manners include many requisites but they chiefly consist in politeness courtesy and kindness they cannot be taught by rule but they may be taught by example it has been said that politeness is the art of showing men by external signs the internal regard we have for them but a man may be perfectly polite to another without necessarily having any regard for him good manners are neither more nor less than beautiful behavior it has been well said that a beautiful form is better than a beautiful face and a beautiful behavior is better than a beautiful form it gives a higher pleasure than statues or pictures it is the finest of the fine arts manner is the ornament of action indeed a good action without a good manner of doing it is stripped of half its value a poor fellow gets into difficulties and solicits help of a friend he obtains it but it is with a there take that but i don't like lending the help is given with a kind of kick and is scarcely accepted as a favor the manner of the giving long rankles in the mind of the acceptor thus good manners mean kind manners benevolence being the preponderating element in all kinds of pleasant intercourse between human beings a story is told of a poor soldier having one day called at the shop of a hairdresser who was busy with his customers and asked relief stating that he had stayed beyond his leave of absence and unless he could get a lift on the coach fatigue and severe punishment awaited him the hairdresser listened to his story respectfully and gave him a guinea god bless you sir exclaimed the soldier astonished at the amount how can i repay you i have nothing in the world but this pulling out a dirty piece of paper from his pocket it is a recipe for making blacking and it is the best that was ever seen many a half guinea i have had for it from the officers and many bottles i have sold may you be able to get something for it to repay you for your kindness to the poor soldier oddly enough that dirty piece of paper proved worth half a million of money to the hairdresser it was no less than the recipe for the famous day and martin's blacking the hairdresser being the late wealthy mr day whose manufactory is one of the nobilities of the metropolis good manners have been supposed to be a peculiar mark of gentility and that the individual exhibiting them has been born in some upper class of society 
but the poorest classes may exhibit good manners toward each other as well as the richest one may be polite and kind toward others without a penny in the purse politeness goes very far yet it costs nothing it is the cheapest of commodities but we want to be taught good manners as well as other things some happy natures are to the manner born but the bulk of men need to be taught manners and this can only be efficiently done in youth we have said that working men might study good manners with advantage why should they not respect themselves and each other it is by their demeanor toward each other in other words by their manners that self-respect and mutual respect are indicated we have been struck by the habitual politeness of even the poorest classes on the continent the workman lifts his cap and respectfully salutes his fellow workmen in passing there is no sacrifice of manliness in this but rather grace and dignity the working man in respecting his fellow respects himself and his order there is kindness in the act of recognition as well as in the manner in which it is denoted we might learn much from the french people in this matter they are not only polite to each other but they have a great respect for property some may be disposed to doubt this after the recent destruction of buildings in paris but the communists must be regarded as altogether exceptional people and to understand the french character we must look to the body of the population scattered throughout france there we find property much more respected by the people than among ourselves even the beggar respects the fruit by the roadside although there is nobody to protect it the reason of this is that france is a nation of small proprietors that property is much more generally diffused and exposed and parents of even the lowest class educate their children in carefulness of and fidelity to the property of others this respect for property is also accompanied with respect for the feelings of others which constitutes what is called good manners this is carefully inculcated in the children of all ranks in france they are very rarely rude they are civil to strangers they are civil to each other mr laying in his notes of a traveller makes these remarks this reference to the feelings of others in all that we do is a moral habit of great value when it is generally diffused and enters into the home training of every family it is an education both of the parent and child in morals carried on through the medium of external manners it is a fine distinction of the french national character and of social economy that practical morality is more generally taught through manners among and by the people themselves than in any country in europe the same kindly feeling might be observed throughout the entire social intercourse of working men with each other there is not a moment in their lives in which the opportunity does not occur for exhibiting good manners in the workshop in the street and at home provided there be a wish to please others by kind looks and ways the habit of combining good manners with every action will soon be formed it is not merely the pleasure of a man gives to others by being kind to them he receives tenfold more pleasure himself the man who gets up and offers his chair to a woman or to an old man trivial though the act may seem is rewarded by his own heart and a thrill of pleasure runs through him the moment he has performed the kindness work people need to practice good manners toward each other the more because they are under the necessity of constantly living with each other and among each other they are in constant contact with their fellow workmen whereas the richer classes need not mix with men unless they choose and then they can select whom they like the working man's happiness depends much more upon the kind looks words and acts of those immediately about him than the rich man's does it is so in the workshop and it is the same at home there the workman cannot retire into his study but must sit among his family 
by the side of his wife with his children about him and he must either live kindly with them performing kind and obliging acts toward his family or he must see suffer and endure the intolerable misery of reciprocal unkindness admitted that there are difficulties in the way of working men cultivating the art of good manners that their circumstances are often very limited and their position unfavorable yet no man is so poor but that he can be civil and kind if he choose and to be civil and kind is the very essence of good manners even in the most adverse circumstances a man may try to do his best if he do if he speak and act courteously and kindly to all the result will be so satisfactory so self-rewarding that he cannot but be stimulated to persevere in the same course he will diffuse pleasure about him in the home make friends of his work-fellows and be regarded with increased kindness and respect by every right-minded employer the civil workman will exercise increased power among his class and gradually induce them to imitate him by his persistent steadiness civility and kindness thus benjamin franklin when a workman reformed the habits of an entire workshop then besides the general pleasure arising from the exercise of good manners there is a great deal of healthful and innocent pleasure to be derived from amusements of various kinds one cannot be always working eating and sleeping there must be time for relaxation time for mental pleasures time for bodily exercise there is a profound meaning in the word amusement much more than most people are disposed to admit in fact amusement is an important part of education it is a mistake to suppose that the boy or the man who plays at some outdoor game is wasting his time amusement of any kind is not wasting time but economizing life relax and exercise frequently if you would enjoy good health if you do not relax and take no exercise the results will soon appear in bodily ailments which always accompany sedentary occupations the students says lord darby who think they have not time for bodily exercise will sooner or later find time for illness there are people in the world who would if they had the power hang the heavens about with crape throw a shroud over the beautiful and life-giving bosom of the planet pick the bright stars from the sky veil the sun with clouds pluck the silver moon from her place in the firmament shut up our gardens and fields and all the flowers with which they are bedecked and doom the world to an atmosphere of gloom and cheerlessness there is no reason or morality in this and there is still less religion temperance reformers have not sufficiently considered how much the drinking habits of the country are the consequences of gross tastes and of the too limited opportunities which exist in this country for obtaining access to amusements of an innocent and improving tendency the workman's tastes have been allowed to remain uncultivated present wants engross his thoughts the gratification of his appetites is his highest pleasure and when he relaxes it is to indulge immoderately in beer or whiskey the germans were at one time the drunkenest of nations they are now among the soberest as drunken as a german boor was a common proverb how have they been weaned from drink principally by education and music music has a most humanizing effect the cultivation of the art has a most favorable influence upon public morals it furnishes a source of pleasure in every family it gives home a new attraction it makes social intercourse more cheerful father matthew followed up his temperance movement by a singing movement 
he promoted the establishment of musical clubs all over ireland for he felt that as he had taken the people's whiskey from them he must give them some wholesome stimulus in its stead he gave them music singing classes were established to refine the taste soften the manners and humanize the mass of the irish people but we fear that the example set by father matthew has already been forgotten what a fullness of enjoyment says channing has our creator placed within our reach by surrounding us with an atmosphere which may be shaped into sweet sounds and yet this goodness is almost lost upon us through want of culture of the organ by which this provision is to be enjoyed how much would the general cultivation of the gift of music improve us as a people children ought to learn it in schools as they do in germany the voice of music would then be heard in every household our old english glees would no longer be forgotten men and women might sing in the intervals of their work as the germans do in going to and coming from their work the work would not be worse done because it was done amidst music and cheerfulness the breath of society would be sweetened and pleasure would be linked with labor why not have some elegance in even the humblest home we must of course have cleanliness which is the special elegance of the poor but why not have pleasant and delightful things to look upon there is no reason why the humbler classes should not surround themselves with the evidences of beauty and comfort in all their shapes and thus do homage alike to the gifts of god and the labors of man the taste for the beautiful is one of the best and most useful endowments it is one of the handmaids of civilization beauty and elegance do not necessarily belong to the homes of the rich they are or ought to be all-pervading beauty in all things in nature in art in science in literature in social and domestic life how beautiful and yet how cheap are flowers not exotics but what are called common flowers a rose for instance is among the most beautiful of the smiles of nature the laughing flowers exclaims the poet but there is more than gaiety in blooming flowers though it takes a wise man to see the beauty the love and the adaptation of which they are full what should we think of one who had invented flowers supposing that before him flowers were unknown would he not be regarded as the opener-up of a paradise of new delight should we not hail the inventor as a genius as a god and yet these lovely offsprings of the earth have been speaking to man from the first dawn of his existence until now telling him of the goodness and wisdom of the creative power which bid the earth bring forth not only that which was useful as food but also flowers the bright consummate flowers to clothe it in beauty and joy bring one of the commonest field flowers into a room place it on a table or chimney-piece and you seem to have brought a ray of sunshine into the place there is a cheerfulness about flowers what a delight they are to the drooping invalid they are a sweet enjoyment coming as messengers from the country and seeming to say come and see where we grow and let your heart be glad in our presence have a flower in the room by all means it will cost only a trifle if your ambition is moderate and the gratification it gives will be beyond price if you can have a flower for your window so much the better what can be more delicious than the sun's light streaming through flowers through the midst of crimson fuchsias or scarlet geraniums to look out into the light through flowers is not that poetry and to break the force of the sunbeams by the tender resistance of green leaves if you can train an astertium round the window or some sweet peas then you will have the most beautiful frame you can invent for the picture without whether it be the busy crowd or a distant landscape or trees with their lights and shades or the changes of the passing clouds any one may thus look through flowers for the price of an old song 
and what pure taste and refinement does it not indicate on the part of the cultivator a flower in the window sweetens the air makes the room look graceful gives the sun's light a new charm rejoices the eye and links nature with beauty the flower is a companion that will never say a cross thing to any one but will always look beautiful and smiling do not despise it because it is cheap and because everybody may have the luxury as well as yourself common things are cheap but common things are invariably the most valuable could we only have fresh air or sunshine by purchase what luxuries they would be considered but they are free to all and we think little of their blessings there is indeed much in nature that we do not yet half enjoy because we shut our avenues of sensation and feeling we are satisfied with the matter of fact and look not for the spirit of fact which is above it if we opened our minds to enjoyment we might find tranquil pleasures spread about us on every side we might live with the angels that visit us on every sunbeam and sit with the fairies who wait on every flower we want more loving knowledge to enable us to enjoy life and we require to recultivate the art of making the most of the common means and appliances of enjoyment which lie about us on every side a snug and clean home no matter how tiny it be so that it be wholesome windows into which the sun can shine cheerily a few good books and who need be without a few good books in these days of universal cheapness no duns at the door and the cupboard well supplied and with flowers in your room there is none so poor as not to have about him these elements of pleasure but why not besides the beauty of nature have a taste for the beauty of art why not hang up a picture in the room ingenious methods have been discovered some of them quite recently for almost infinitely multiplying works of art by means of wood engravings lithographs photographs and autotypes which render it possible for every person to furnish his rooms with beautiful pictures skill and science have thus brought art within reach of the poorest any picture print or engraving that represents a noble thought that depicts a heroic act or that brings a bit of nature from the fields or the streets into our room is a teacher a means of education and a help to self-culture it serves to make the home more pleasant and attractive it sweetens domestic life and sheds a grace and beauty about it it draws the gazer away from mere consideration of self and increases his store of delightful association with the world without as well as with the world within the portrait of a great man for instance helps us to read his life it invests him with a personal interest looking at his features we feel as if we knew him better and were more closely related to him such a portrait hung up before us daily at our meals and during our leisure hours unconsciously serves to lift us up and sustain us it is a link that in some way binds us to a higher and nobler nature it is not necessary that a picture should be high-priced in order to be beautiful and good we have seen things for which hundreds of guineas have been paid that have not one hundredth part of the meaning or beauty that is to be found in linton's woodcut of raphael's madonna which may be had for tuppence the head reminds one of the observation made by hazlitt upon a picture that it seems as if an unhandsome act would be impossible in its presence it embodies the idea of mother's love womanly beauty and earnest piety as some one said of the picture it looks as if a bit of heaven were in the room picture fanciers pay not so much for the merit as for the age and rarity of their works the poorest may have the seeing eye for beauty while the rich man may be blind to it the cheapest engraving may communicate the sense of beauty to the artisan 
while the thousand-guinea picture may fail to communicate to the millionaire anything excepting perhaps the notion that he has got possession of a work which the means of other people cannot compass does the picture give you pleasure on looking at it that is one good test of its worth you may grow tired of it your taste may outgrow it and demand something better just as the reader may grow out of montgomery's poetry into milton's then you will take down the daub and put up a picture with a higher idea in its place there may thus be a steady progress of art made upon the room walls if the picture can be put in frames so much the better but if they cannot no matter up with them we know that owen jones says it is not good taste to hang prints upon walls he would merely hang room papers there but owen jones may not be infallible and here we think he is wrong to our eyes a room always looks unfurnished no matter how costly and numerous the tables chairs and ottomans unless there be pictures upon the walls it ought to be and no doubt it is a great stimulus to artists to know that their works are now distributed in prints and engravings to decorate and beautify the homes of the people the woodcutter the lithographer and the engraver are the popular interpreters of the great artist thus turner's pictures are not confined to the wealthy possessors of the original works but may be diffused through all homes by the millers and brandards and wilmots who have engraved them thus landseer finds entrance through woodcuts and mezzotints into every dwelling thus cruikshank preaches temperance and ari sheffer purity and piety the engraver is the medium by which art in the palace is conveyed into the humblest homes in the kingdom the art of living may be displayed in many ways it may be summed up in the words make the best of everything nothing is beneath its care even common and little things it turns to account it gives a brightness and grace to the home and invests nature with new charms through it we enjoy the rich man's parks and woods as if they were our own we inhale the common air and bask under the universal sunshine we glory in the grass the passing clouds and the flowers we love the common earth and hear joyful voices through all nature it extends to every kind of social intercourse it engenders cheerful good will and loving sincerity by its help we make others happy and ourselves blessed we elevate our being and ennoble our lot we rise above the groveling creatures of earth and aspire to the infinite and thus we link time to eternity where the true art of living has its final consummation end of chapter 1 read by john greenman